Thank you, my friends. Good to be here tonight and thankful for the opportunity and pray that the Lord would help us and bless us uh, this evening and throughout the rest of the week. And I know sometimes, uh, you know, I didn't think about this when I was, I've been, I started preaching nearly 48 years ago as a 21-year-old boy, and uh, I didn't think about it a lot back in the day, but I realized that every single service, there's some good, godly, wonderful people here tonight. Some of the best people in this county are here tonight. And also, there's some low-down scallywags here tonight that <laughs> slipped in among us. And like the song they just sang, there's some people that are hurting and have problems. And there, there could be easily tonight people in the room that are lost. And I, I have endeavored... I have not always been successful, but since those thoughts dawned on me some time ago, I've endeavored to try to find something for everybody, uh, to help everybody that comes, that lost people, saved people, good people, uh, folks that need to get right with God, backsliders, uh, the, the whole, there's a whole gamut of people uh, that come to church day after day, service after service, meeting after meeting, and I hope that the good God of heaven will meet your need tonight, whatever it might be in your life. Now, it was wonderful to see uh, the newest member of the uh, Gravely Bunch, a beautiful little gal down there named Rayleigh. I hope I pronounced that right. Is that right? These kids nowadays, they don't have normal names. <laughs> Not anymore. I got some grandkids, and they, none of them have normal names, really. Just... I don't know where these kids are finding these names, back of a cereal box or something. <laughs> but I, I come, I, you know, I'm a grandparent, and I know the Gravelys are grandparents now. And I heard a little story the other day about a grandmother, and she had her little four-year-old granddaughter sitting in her lap, and she said to her granddaughter, she picked up an apple, and she said, honey, what color is this? And the little gal said, well, it's red. And she looked out the window and she said, well, what color is the grass? And she said, green. Said, uh, what color is the sky? And the little gal said, blue. And uh, grandmother said, well, what color are the clouds? And she said, white. And the little girl looked up at her grandmother and she said, you know, Grandma, I think you really ought to try and figure out some of these colors for yourself. <laughs> I kind of like that. I heard about another grandmother. She was talking to her grandkids. She said, you know, when I was a little girl, I used to go ice skating on the pond and had a swing out in the front yard on a rope hanging from the tree. It was an old tire. And uh, I used to ride a pony, had a little pony when I was a little girl and used to go out in the woods and pick berries. And her little granddaughter looked up at her and said, boy, Grandma, I wish I'd have met you back then. <laughs> probably been a lot more fun, I guess. It's good to be a grandparent. Now I talked about that grandbaby, and there she goes. She had enough of me. Didn't take long. I want you to open your book to 1 Kings chapter 21, and I'm going to have a word of prayer, and I'm going to talk to you a minute, and then I'll read my text, and then preach what I feel like the Lord would have me talk to you about tonight. Now, I'll be frank with you. I do have some nice sermons. This isn't one of them. Uh, 
we may get to one before the week's over or two or three. I, I got a new sermon I think I'm going to try if the Lord will let me do it uh, one day this week. Might do it Wednesday night when the crowd's the smallest, I don't know. Or the nicest people will be here, I'm not sure. But uh, anyway, let's have a prayer. Father, we thank you for this evening. We thank you again for uh, the couple thousand plus that folks have promised to give tonight in regard to the land and its purchase. And I pray that you would bless all that have given over the last few hours. And I pray that you multiply it in a wonderful way and provide what you have planned for this body of believers. We thank you, Lord, for the singing tonight. Blessed our hearts that brought uh, praise to our lips and our hands have been lifted. Holy hands have been lifted to bring honor and glory to your son, Jesus Christ. Now, I ask that you'd help us, Lord. We're, we're looking for a revival. I'm looking for it every time I stand in the pulpit and preach. I was talking to one of the fellows before the service. I don't know if we'll ever see a nationwide revival in this country. And I've been in a few churchwide revivals this year already. A couple of them have been just out of the banks. And I pray, God of heaven, that you would do in our midst what you want done. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. In this very familiar chapter, Ahab is walking proudly with a glint of satisfaction and I think unholy gratification through his new vineyard. He's got some servants and they're painting over the old sign that designated this property as Ahab's or as Naboth's vineyard. And I think they have a newly designed logo in mind that perhaps says Ahab's acres. He never expected at all to see the prophet Elijah again. The last time he'd heard of him, and he knew a little bit about this woman, Elijah was cowering beneath a juniper tree, worried about Ahab's wife, Jezebel. And here in this spot, when the shadow of the mantle-clad man of God came across his path, and the scene unfolds, God had told Elijah what to say, beginning in verse number 17. He told him in verse 18 to go down to Samaria, and he would find Ahab there in Naboth's vineyard. And he told him what to say in verse number 19. He said, speak unto him and say, The Lord hast, Lord, hast thou killed and hast taken possession? Thou shalt speak unto him, saying, Thus saith the Lord, In the place where dogs lick the blood of Naboth, shall dogs lick thy blood, even thine. And Ahab said to Elijah, Hast thou found me, O mine enemy? Now I want to contrast tonight for just a few moments another sinner's confrontation with the prophet of God. This sinner too was a king, very famous king. He was in his palace one day and I don't know exactly how it came down but I can picture it and I trust my sanctified imagination's mind that the prophet came and asked for an audience. And the king raised his scepter and 
invited the prophet into his palace. And he said, good to see you, preacher. I enjoyed the message you gave the other day. It thrilled my soul. Maybe today you've got another message that would be of some help to me. And the prophet said, I believe I do. He said, it's a little story about two men. One was very wealthy and the other was very poor. One man had thousands of sheep in his flock and the other man had but one little lamb. And the little lamb really was a pet to his family. A guest came to the wealthy man and the wealthy man said to his servant, go next door. Take that little lamb away from the poor man. Bring him into my house. Kill him, dress him, and cook him that he might feed my guest. King David, irate, he made a proclamation. He said that man should die and he should pay fourfold. The prophet of God put his finger in the face of the king and said, Thou art the man. I want to talk to you tonight on this simple topic, the tale of two sinners, the tale of two sinners. And I want to compare each man's response to the open rebuke that they received from the man of God. And in essence, I would like you also to take a little spiritual assessment in your own life when the preacher steps on your toes when the man of God says something that goes against your grain, how do you respond? Ahab said, Hast thou found me, O mine enemy? And David said in 2 Samuel 12 and 13, I have sinned against the Lord. Both of these men had received something that seemingly they had not soiled their hands in the crime at all. For Jezebel had procured for Ahab that piece of property. David had sent a messenger, by the way, Uriah himself. And ultimately, Joab had occasioned Uriah's demise. You know, we often condone our own iniquity by blaming it on others. I think it comes naturally. I think it happened initially in the garden. Adam, when confronted by God, he said, the woman thou gavest me. She said, the serpent gave me. I heard about Adam and Cain and Abel after uh, of course, Adam and Eve had been kicked out of the garden and they had those two boys and they had to work by the sweat of their brow and the thorns and the thistles and you know all of that that went on. But the Garden of Eden was still there for a while. I don't know how long. Nobody else does either. And uh, there was an angel there that guarded so they could not get back into that place. But Adam and Cain and Nabal were working there and I suppose they could have looked over the fence and the boys working hard all day under that Mideastern sun. And they said, Dad, why don't we go over there? Look how beautiful that is. How wonderful that is. 
He said, boys, your mother ate us out of house and home. It's her fault. It's his fault. It's their fault. It's the church's fault. It's the parents' fault. It's uh, the pastor's fault. It's some long-tongued gossip's fault. No, it's your fault. See, David got a wife, Bathsheba. And Ahab got a beautiful vineyard. But Psalms 106 and verse number 15 talks about men who got the desires of their heart, but God sent leanness to their soul. How goes it with you? You got that little secret sin? You got that money that uh, you came by it dishonestly? Uh, you took advantage of somebody? You cheated somebody? I was in a meeting, it's within the last three years, and I think pushing three years. I was in a meeting, and uh, I came into the church on uh, whatever night it was, and the pastor invited me into the office, and he threw an envelope down on the desk, his desk in front of me, and he said, open that and read that. I opened it up. I don't remember what I had preached the night before or the night before that. I don't remember at all. But he, I opened that up, and inside was a note and $57. And the note said, Pastor, when I was a young man some many years ago, at youth camp, I stole $57 from the canteen, which was where they had candy and where they had pop and stuff that the kids could buy. He said, I, I had stole $57. Now God has dealt with my heart about it and I want to give it, get it back in God's hands. I tell you, a man that would steal from God. Our book says, God says, you're a robber. Steal from God. Get things that you came by them unethically and wrongly. There was a lady, I won't call her name. I know her name. My dad, when he got out of Bible college in 1948, 47, 48, back in the day, he worked for my grandfather a little bit. My grandfather pastored a church in northern Michigan, a little town called Boyne City, the first Baptist church of Boyne City. And uh, my dad was probably uh, 19, maybe 20 years of age at the most. And he led a lady to the Lord, excuse me, a girl to the Lord, a 16-year-old teenage girl. And uh, then my dad uh, got a church in a West Branch, Michigan, and then went to Florida for a couple of years and was an assistant. And then he came to the church in Lansing that he pastored for 62 years. Somewhere along the road of life, that 16-year-old girl got married. She moved to the town that we lived in, in Lansing, and she looked up my father's church, started coming to church. Uh, she had a lost husband. I know his name. I'm not going to call it. And uh, every single service uh, that came around when we'd have prayer meeting on Wednesday night, she'd raise her hand and ask prayer that God would save her husband. That went on at least four, five, six years, it seemed like. And uh, one day, and her husband would come to church every once in a while, you know, Easter and Christmas and maybe some special occasion he'd show up. One Sunday he came down the aisle, he walked and knelt at the altar and he got born again. 
I mean, this guy got so saved, he really got too saved for his wife. She couldn't, I mean, she was saved, but she, I think she kind of liked it that her husband was lost, really. Because then she could go do some things that he wanted to do and it would salve her conscience because she was doing what her husband wanted her to do. But he got genuinely born again. The last time I saw her, my father and I went up to the hospital. She had stepped out on her husband. She was messing around with another man. That man beat her. He broke her arm. And we went to visit her in the hospital. She had two black eyes laying there in the hospital bed. My dad and I walked into that room. First thing out of her mouth, she said, Brother Green, she said, I'm in here because I took the Lord's Supper unworthily. I had sin in my life. I, I was doing wrong, and I, and I took the Lord's Supper, and that's why I'm, here, why I'm here. She made a little stab at getting right with God, and she disappeared for a while, and the next time we heard of that poor girl, that boyfriend that she had, not only did he beat her, but he killed her. Ahab got a vineyard, but he got Elijah and a death sentence. David got Bathsheba, but a reproach and a dead infant. But ultimately, David got forgiveness and restoration. You may have some sin in your life. It's a temporary pleasure. It brings you some uh, satisfaction. But in the end, the Bible says, sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. I'll interject this. Sin looks good on the surface. I mean, a free vineyard? A beautiful woman, a wife, a trifling fancy, a fun night of debauchery. Boy, that sounds like a great time. I have a friend of mine. Uh, he deer hunts with me. He's a terrible deer hunter. He hardly ever gets one. That's why I don't mind taking him. When he does shoot one, he shoots a little Bambi. I wouldn't even, I'd let it pass. I'd be embarrassed. I, I could tell you a long story here, but I'm not going to take up your time and bore you with it. But we went hunting, I don't know, three or four years ago, and, and I picked him up at his house, and I said, what happened to that big tree out there? He said, oh, it got struck by lightning. I said, really? Well, that thing's pretty, I mean, it's a huge tree. It's about that big around. It got struck by lightning about 10 feet up in the air is where it got struck, and it broke off and fell. Had a big mess in his yard. And uh, we, a few weeks later, he called me on the telephone. He said, he said, you know, I went and finished that tree off. I, I got it safely down all the way, and then I cut it off down, you know, close to the ground so the stump wasn't sticking up 10 feet in the air. And he said, I cut that thing with my chainsaw. And he said, when I did out of the corner of my eye, I could see the inside of that tree moving. He said, I couldn't hardly believe it. He said, I got down on my knees, and I looked in there, and inside of that tree was a ball of serpents, of snakes, all wrapped up and wound around each other in the hollow of that huge tree. You know, everything that looks good on the surface that's wrong has serpents on the inside. And they bite like an adder. And they sting and they cause problems down the road of life. 
if you're, if you're of any age here tonight, you can take a little trip down memory lane and you can remember some of the things that you enjoyed or you thought you were enjoying and the little side trips spiritually or unspiritually that you took and you know the consequences that you paid in your life. There's a high cost of low living. Sin on the inside is as black as the hinges of hell. It's a horrible thing, especially for a child of God to get involved in. See, Ahab's life ended three years later. An arrow pierced him. They took him dying in his war chariot to the exact spot where the dogs licked the blood of Naboth. 1 Kings chapter 22 Verses 37 and 38. David, in contrast, died as an old man in bed. They both had sinned. They both had done wrong. They both were confronted by a man of God. The difference is how one reacts to a spiritual rebuke. How you deal with your sin. It's a little three-letter word. In English, it's called a heteronym. A heteronym is a word that is spelled exactly the same. It's pronounced differently and has completely different meaning. How one reacts to a rebuke is you either bow up or you bow down. Ahab, he bowed up. Hast thou found me, O mine enemy? David bowed down. He humbled himself. I've done wrong. God, forgive me. The difference is all in how we react. One equals disaster and eternal consequences and the other provides forgiveness and restoration. Now to be fair to old Ahab, if you read down through the rest of the, the story, he, he has some kind of a repentance. And the Bible uses a term that he went softly. I think he was insincere. He just kind of tiptoed around the rest of the time. The Bible also said that he sold himself to work wickedness and he followed idols. I think he humbled himself to just get the heat off of him and let his children down the road of life pay for it. David's repentance, in contrast, was genuine and grace procuring. You know this as well as I do, church. Sin has consequences. Sin leaves scars. The God God has grace for the penitent. God has mercy for those that would come to him with a repentant heart. David's repentance is recorded quite wonderfully in Psalms 51. Have mercy, he cried. Wash me. Cleanse me. This has always been an interesting statement to me that David made there in that 51st Psalm. He said, against thee only. Have I sinned against thee and thee only? 
Now, from a human perspective, I think he sinned against Uriah. I think he sinned against his other six wives. You know, how many wives does a man need? I don't know what the penalty for sin is in North Georgia. Excuse me, for, for bigamy is in North Georgia. But in Ohio, it's two mother-in-laws. <laughs> David had a bunch of them. And what about his poor son, Solomon? Someone said he's the wisest man that ever lived. I don't know with that many mother-in-laws. But ultimately, when you get right down to it, sin is against a holy God. And thank God, his only son paid our sin debt. One's response to a spiritual rebuke tells a whole lot about him. Solomon wrote this in Proverbs 9 and 8. He said, reprove not a scorner lest he hate thee. You want a spiritual IQ test? Right here it is. Rebuke a wise man and he will love thee. Rebuke a wise man and he'll love thee. You want to figure out whether or not you're wise? When the preacher confronts you, when the man of God says, hey, you need to get this taken care of and get that straightened out and get that right. And how you react to that tells you what kind of a IQ you have spiritually. I had a preacher call me today, heartbroken, from a place I'm going to be in a month or so, less than that, less than a month. He had two men and one a man. One man in his church stood up and rebuked the pastor publicly in a business meeting. Another man on the other side stood up and seconded uh, the fellow's foolishness over here. I mean, you you talk about brazen. They're they're upset with the pastor because of the raise that he was given, and they're so stupid, they don't even know that he never took the raise. They never bothered to find out. They just assumed that the pastor was making a little bit more money than he used to. The pastor told me, he told me, I'll tell you, you don't know him, you'll never even meet him. They wanted to give him $92,000 a year. He wouldn't take the raise. This is everything. This is his car allowance. This is his housing allowance. This is, this is everything. And it's in a state that that's not a really an overly big salary for the state they live in. He wouldn't take it. He stayed at the 72000 that they were giving him for everything. And he said, Tim, he said, I gave the church last year $44,000. They're doing pretty good. They're getting that pastor for what? $28,000 a year? That's not too bad. I mean, the guy's hardly making 500 bucks a week. If my math is pretty clear, maybe he's making $519 a week or whatever. How, how dare, how dare anybody stand up and make such a fool of themselves? One sure way to figure out whether you are wise or not if you can take a rebuke from the man of God and love him for it. And love him for it. If you can't, you're a scorner. See, Ahab is a symbol of scorn even to this day. And David is a man after God's own heart. 
I want to say this tonight just because I feel like it's good to say. You see, growth in grace is measured by one's sensibility to sin. Growth in grace is determined, I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to involve myself in that. I want to keep myself unspotted from the world. I want to do what's right. You know what some of us think? We think spiritual maturity is based on how long we've been saved. It's adherence to the Word of God. I, I know people have been saved six months or more spiritual than some people have been saved 20 years. You say, why is that? Because those people saved six months, they're doing what this book says to do. And some people have been 20, 30, 40 years. Well, I don't have to do that anymore. I can live my life any. There, there are people, they, they don't even think they have to go to church anymore. Matter of fact, those two men that stood up against their pastor about money, one of them quit tithing five months ago and the other one nine months ago. These bo- if, they're, if they're alive when I get there next month, I'll be shocked if they're saved. If they're saved, what will you do when you've sinned and you're sure about it? And God's word says, says this, if our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts. What about this? Is the Bible your enemy? I don't think so. Is the man of God, the preacher, is he your adversary? The preacher that stands and preaches this book and warns people, you go down that trail. That's where it ends up. And nobody's been preaching as long as I've been preaching or as long as your pastor's been preaching. I mean, there is, there is a trail that is littered with the broken testimonies and broken hearts and broken homes of people who decided to go their own way. Ahab, hast thou found me, mine enemy? I hate you. That old preacher stood there in David's palace. He said, you're the man. You're the one. David got right. Can you hear a message? And it brings a tender, melting Heart and a cry to God for mercy. I hope you can. I have a good friend. Uh, you might, some of you might know him. His name's Don Case, Don and Kim Case. Don's about 80 years old. His wife's a, most people when they see Don and his wife, they say we're good to have Brother Case here and his daughter because she's about 20 years younger than him, I think. And he, uh, Sings, he's a good singer. He plays the accordion. He sings. And uh, he's, he's played at big meetings around the country and, and quite a famous man in his own right. But I, he was uh, singing in a meeting. He and his wife were singing in a meeting. I was preaching in North Florida maybe five years ago. And I was staying at the preacher's house next, right next door to the church. And the pastor's wife has, is very ill and uh, the pastor has to stay up most of the night and take care of her, and I get up early in the morning. So I would get up and try to make coffee for myself, and it wasn't very good. 
And about Tuesday, I think, of the meeting, I said to Brother Case, I said, does your wife make coffee? Over? He was staying in a little trailer. He got his own trailer he hauls around. I said, your wife make coffee? He said, oh, yeah, she makes good coffee. I said, what time do you start drinking coffee? He said, about 6 o'clock. I said, would you like some company? <laughs> I slept over there that next morning. He told me this story. I'd, I'd known him a long time. He'd never told me about it before. But his mother died when he was a young man. And he, his daddy was a Methodist preacher, I think, is what he was. When his mother died, he Don got very rebellious, got, up, got mad at God, left, went out and lived a life of sin for probably 35 years, ended up in a jail, and ended up in a, a psychiatric ward and all kinds of terrible, terrible problems. He had a son that worked in like a gas station, you know, slash store now, which most of them are. And one night a fella came in there with a gun and shot and killed his boy. He had another boy that worked in a similar establishment and a fella came in with a shotgun, put the shotgun in his face and shot him. And that boy lived, he was blind, blinded his boy. He told me, he said, one day I, a man was messing with my wife and uh, not, not the woman he's married to now, but the wife that he had in the past. And he said, I went to kill him on a New Year's Eve. And he said, I was a mile from his house. And the front axle of my car broke. I'd have killed that man. Been in prison the rest of my life. He said he was in a little church way up in northern Michigan. He was a drunk. Life all in shambles. About 25, 30 years ago, somebody came by and gave him the gospel. He got saved, got, got right with God, got involved in the work of God. I tell you, he, he's one of the greatest blessings I've ever encountered. I mean, in a meeting as an evangelist, to have somebody like him come and sing, he just lights a congregation up. He's a blessing, just a great blessing. And I've never, I've never been in a service. He always sits in the second row, him and his wife. I don't think I've ever preached a message when he and his wife didn't come forward. Uh, now, he can't kneel anymore, and she's had all kinds of work on her, too. And they, so they, when they, the last meeting I was in, they just came. They just whirled around from the second row and sat in the first row. And I've never met a happier Christian. Amen. I've never met a happier 80-year-old Christian in my life. And I've known him for 15 years. He was the happiest 65-year-old Christian I'd ever met in my life. And the happiest 70-year-old and the happiest 75-year-old, he is excited about God. He calls me. He's called me while, uh, where I was last week. I tried to get back to him. I didn't do it. He calls me about every week. He, he reads the Baptist bread. He gets blessed about something. He'll call me on the telephone, tell me about it, and uh, calls me all, uh, at least once a month and really twice a month conservatively just rejoicing and thanking God and excited about the fact that God has forgiven him of his past. You can have your sin. You can keep that, those dark secrets stuffed off in some closet in your mind. You can, you can live like that if you want to. You can say, oh boy, the preacher got me to tell you who told him that I was doing that. In essence, hast thou found me, O oh mine enemy? 
or you can be like a David. I'll get this right. I, I'm not going to live like this anymore. I'll get it taken care of. I'm going to get it under the blood. And we, we got the blood to get it under in the New Testament, thank God. We can get it all behind us. You know the nice thing about getting right is God never brings it up again. You say, well, every once in a while I think about it, that's you. You say, well, something's talking to me. That's the enemy. Here's the accuser of the brethren. Thank God, thank God for the forgiveness that, forgiveness that he wants to give to his people. Tale of two sinners. What kind of sinner are you? The kind that gets mad at the preacher? Or the kind that gets right with God? There's two choices. Father in heaven, we thank you for the few minutes tonight. I pray our listeners this evening would take a spiritual inventory to see what kind of a sinner they are. Are they a sinner in the sandals of a David? Or are they in the shoes of an Ahab? Do they argue try to condone and cover and make it look good and hypocrite it as best they can? Or are they willing to get right? Leave it at an old-fashioned altar. Get it taken care of. How many folk in this room, if she begins to play, God spoke to you about something in your heart, in your life, Maybe it's been on the back burner. Maybe you've been able to cover it a little bit and spruce it up and make it look good. But the cover's been pulled off a little bit tonight. And it's just as ugly whether you had it covered or whether it's out in the open, it's ugly. And you need to take care of it. And you need to deal with it. Let's stand our feet. If you need to come and get it taken care of, you ought to come. Would you do it? Would you step out? Search me, oh God, and know my heart today. be a David in the house. Wonderful. 
But knowing Baptist, I'd be shocked. See, we have, we have in this day and age in our churches, we have what I call respectable Baptist sins, like gossip and criticism. We're not drinking. We're not cussing. We're not dressing immodestly. We're not doing that. But we have evil surmisings. And you can name them. There's, there's lists of them in the New Testament. Respectable Baptist sins. That we think they're all right to commit. But I don't know if there's little sins and big sins in the heart and mind of God. I know Jesus Christ paid for their, our sin debt on Calvary. Sin of unbelief, I believe that. But if your heart's clear tonight, I thank God for it. If that be the case, I can preach the nice sermons the rest of the week. We can just shout and praise God. Now, I never was a good chess player. I played, but I was never any good. I don't think I ever won a chess match in my life. But I was a pretty good checker player. Sometimes you have to play with somebody you know that's not really in the game. They're kind of ignoring what's going on. You say, hey, hey, it's your move. Oh, okay. Well, it's your move. It's your move, Ahab. It's your move, David. How are you going to react? What are you going to do about it? How many folk in this room? Listen, I preach 45 meetings a year, and I'm not talking about one-day deals. I'm talking about weeks. 40, 40 to 45. I'm away from that girl of mine 100 days a year. I don't, I don't just go to church to play. I come to church to do business with God's people, with backsliders, with folks, things in their lives that they're trying to live with and condone, make it look good. I'm going to tell you something, friend. You need, if you need to get right, you just ought to get right. I know this about getting right. Every time I've gotten right, the birds start to sing again, the bees start to buzz, and the blessings of God again begin to ring in my soul. But when I try to cover it, and I try to condone it, and I try to kind of, you know, make it, you know, I got an excuse for this. It doesn't help at all. Doesn't help at all. Does anybody here tonight say, Preacher, there are some things in my life, there are some areas in my life that I know need some spiritual attention. Would you raise your hand high that I could see it? One man and a little girl. Father in heaven, I pray you would help us tonight to be seriously honest. Help us not to be self-deceived. Help us to evaluate our level of Christianity. Not by how high we jump, how loud we shout, how much money we give, but by how we handle a rebuke. How we take it, like Ahab, or like David.
Our book says, a broken and a contrite heart, God will not despise. I pray you'd help us. In Jesus' name.